Happy October, if you've not been told that yet. Hope you uh, enjoy the first day of this month, and it's just a blessing to worship together. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Todd. My wife Brenda and I are members of Grace, and we are so privileged to be a part of this wonderful church. Thank you to the pastors for the opportunity to bring the message today. I'm very grateful for that. I work in Halethorpe, uh, that part of Baltimore, and um, about five or six years ago, I uh, was on my way to work, and I got to the last kind of turn before you turn into the business park area that makes a big hill up to where I work, and I noticed a construction area going on in the corner of that major intersection there, and I, like anyone, wondered what was going in there. They didn't have any signage or anything like that, and so I... You know, I'm there every day, and so I next day looked, and still no signs. Probably about a week went by, and finally uh, I saw the sign that was there at the corner that identified that uh, there was going to be put there a Wawa. And I thought to myself two things. I thought, number one, um, I'm about to weep for joy. <laughs> and number two, this could be very dangerous those two things. And so I didn't realize just how dangerous it was until about two months ago. Five years have gone by. Two months ago, I realized just how dangerous it was when I, w I went there for my lunch break, ordered something on my app and went to there on my lunch break, and I walked in and I took one step into the store, and from behind the food counter, the lady said, hey, Todd, It's nice to go somewhere where they know your name, isn't it? <laughs> I'm really glad to be here, and I, I'm just so thrilled to be with familiar faces and familiar names, and I just want to echo what Katie said. If you're here and we don't know your name yet, and you're new to Grace, we're so thankful you're here, and we're looking forward to knowing you and getting better acquainted, and we hope today's a good experience for all of us. Amen. We are working our way through the book of Genesis. Have you got a Bible? Maybe you could grab that and open up to Genesis chapter 2 or a device. Maybe you can tap over to Genesis chapter 2. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, we began a few weeks ago a series that is entitled Origins. It's been an amazing journey so far as we walk through the beginning books of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, to see God's uh, creative genius and his plan for not only humankind but the world as a whole and not only his creation and his ability that way but also the creation of systems and the way we think and the way we process our life and the way we move and have our being as the Bible says and I'm excited about continuing that today but also in the next couple of weeks especially and as we move forward in the book of Genesis and so today we find ourselves in Genesis chapter number 2. Now there are several verses that we'll read, and so let's look at verse 4 as we begin in the Bible today. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, 
in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. Verse 14, and the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept... God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And finally, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The big idea of the message today, if you were to summarize it in one sentence, it would be this. As his ultimate creation, we, his creation, have been given by God both the capacity and the responsibility to serve the Lord with integrity. I believe we'll see that in this chapter of Genesis. The sermon is a sermon I'm calling The Awesome and the Unashamed. Let's pray together. Would you bow with me once again? Father, we uh, are just so thankful for the opportunity to open up the Bible today. We thank you for the priority that that is for us as a group of people every week and throughout the week, Lord. And I thank you for the privilege of opening up your word and hearing your voice, your spirit. We believe God inspired what we're about to hear, uh, the words we're about to read and look at, and so we thank you for that, and we thank you, God, that that same spirit, Holy Spirit, come close now and open our, our mind to understand what you've already inspired. Help us to hear your voice, God. God, there's only so much I can do. I, I can't do a lot at all, but God, you're able through your word to speak to each of us, and I just pray you'll do that. I pray you'll help it to be biblically faithful. I pray, God, you'll help our, our, our hearts to be good ground that the word falls on, and that, God, you would change us because of your word. Let all hearts, every heart, ultimately be pointed to Jesus today. We thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus Christ's name these things. And everybody say amen. 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 
Now, my children and my wife will tell you with little delay that I'm a little bit strange. Now, that's quite an introduction to say, but it's true. Uh, For example, I have an informal list in my mind of my favorite words. Now, they're not related to each other, and they're not a vast number of words, but they're just fun to say. And so I keep this, this tally of fun words to say in my mind. For example, I enjoy saying the word conjecture. Isn't that a great word? Conjecture. When's the last time you said conjecture? Speak that sometime today. You'll enjoy. You'll have a fun moment of Sunday. I love the word lovely. Now, we say that maybe a little bit, but I think we need to say it more. Lovely is a lovely word. I like lovely. I love the word copacetic. I learned that a couple of years ago. If you don't know the word copacetic, make that your homework today. Make copacetic a part of your vocabulary. I like saying the word flange. I don't quite know what a flange is or what it does, but it kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Flange. And probably one of the words that I enjoy saying because it not only is fun to say, but it also makes me sound a little wiser than I actually am, is the word etymology. Etymology, that's just a great word to say. Etymology, you may know, is the history of a word. And it's a a history of that word or phrase shown by tracing its development and its relationships. Uh, Etymologists tell us that there's a lot of history to what we say in the words we use. And there is no greater example of the etymological development of life than the use of a word that already has been said today. I believe it was said the word awesome awesome. I put the word awesome into an AI search engine last week, and when I did, it came up with this on the screen. Awesome is an adjective that means something is impressive, outstanding, or totally cool. It can also mean something is extremely good. For example, you might say, that new white convertible is totally awesome. Now, let's make it more personal. You might also say, That Maryland crab soup is awesome. Amen. How about this one? The Baltimore Orioles are awesome. I felt revival right there. Wow, that was impressive, outstanding, or or totally cool. Now, when I read that in that search engine last week, I thought to myself, that sounds like a 20th or 21st century definition of the word awesome. And honestly, when I read that definition, I thought to myself, that definition doesn't sound copacetic. (laughs) My conjecture is that the etymology of that lovely word is different than what I just read. And here's the fun fact, it is. When you look at the word awesome and do the backstory of this word, awesome etymologists will tell us popped up on the scene around 1600 A.D., probably 
in a church. Why? Because it first meant, and I think Brenda actually mentioned something about this, profoundly reverential. Later it morphed just a little bit later into an adjective meaning inspiring awe. And then you flash forward a couple of centuries to the 20th century when awesome transformed once again into this everyday word for impressive. I thought of that word this past week as I was reminded of Pastor Don and Pastor Greg's messages to us in the introductory chapter of the book of Genesis and the description as we walked through that chapter of this awesome creator, this this amazing, reverential, inspired creator, this this awe-inspiring creator God who began to create and, and gave breath and gave life to things. He simply spoke and things were. He simply said, let this happen, and that happened. And as we've read through the first chapter of Genesis, we've seen this awesome creator God on vivid display. And we were reminded just recently as well that that vivid description and that awesome creation walked through those first five days. But then when we hit that sixth day, that day when creation included humankind, Pastor Don reminded us so wisely that the narrative starts to slow down a little bit. We get more detail in chapter 1. We got more explanation of the creation of mankind. And now when we've reached verse 4 of chapter 2, after the rest that God gave himself in in the day 7, when we reach chapter 2, verse 4, it's as if we've typed into Google Earth creation. And creation, boom, there it is. It was chapter one, one day, two days, three days, four days, five days. But then in the sixth day, it's as if that Moses, in his writing of Genesis, begins to hit Google Earth plus sign, and we zero in on the map a little closer. And we begin to see this greater detail for humankind. And when we reach verse four, he's typing down the plus sign, and now we're already down to dirt. And what we're seeing in chapter two, verses 4 through the rest of the chapter, is we're seeing something that is the pop-out menu for what we saw in chapter 1. It's not a secondary, second creation. It's the greater detail of that day 6 of creation. It's Moses describing to the wandering children of Israel, this is what happened when God created on day 6. We begin to see greater and greater detail. When this triune unified God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. We don't read the full story of that then until chapter 2, but here we are. The pop-out window has popped out, and what we're reading now is the fuller description of what we read just a few days ago in chapter 1. I think we see some things as we walk through Genesis chapter 2. We only need to walk a few verses into this beginning generations that Moses talks about. In verse 4, he brings us to the first thing that I want to remind you of in chapter 2, and it's this, that the very breath of God gives humans life. The very breath of God. Look at verse 4. In the day that the Lord God made the heaven, made the earth rather, and the heavens, 
when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land watering the whole face of the ground then the Lord God formed the man of, uh, man of dust from the ground and here it is breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living We see in the New Testament the Apostle Paul speaking in Athens of the life-giving breath of this awesome God. Acts 17 verse 24 tells us the God, Paul said, who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by hand, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The very breath of God gives humans, his creation, life. Now, if that's true, and if we accept that premise for just a moment, I think there are two implications that are absolutely crucial that we understand. If the very breath of God animates life, then I think the first implication is this, that every person we see has the image of God upon them and the breath of God with them. So let that guide our interactions. There's a great phrase called imago Dei, the image of God. We've heard that before preached in this series. The image of God, the breath of God is in every single person with whom we interact. Now, spoiler alert, what's wonderful in chapter 2 is going to turn awful in chapter 3. So just put your seatbelt on drastic difference is about to occur. Perfection is about to be interrupted by disobedience. And disobedience is going to lead to every problem in the history of mankind. But never forget, the people we see have God's breath in them. The people we work with have the breath of God in their life. The people we wait in line at Wawa with have the breath of God in their life. The people we drive the beltway with. God, I feel conviction on my heart right now. They have inherent value in the sight of God. They may act like chapter three people, but they're chapter two people. Why? Because the breath of God was breathed into humanity. God brought his breath and animated. He gave value. But Todd, didn't you see what they did? I think oftentimes when I say that sometimes, or perhaps when you say that sometimes in a, in a way of frustration, we're reacting to behavior instead of remembering value. That's easy to do, isn't it? We react to the stuff they do that makes us frustrated, but we forget at that frustrating moment that They have the breath of God in them. They they have the image of God stamped upon them. See, personal value isn't earned when it comes to God. Existential worth isn't worked for. Human dignity isn't a reward for good behavior. Life itself is God-breathed, the creator breathed into his creation the breath of life. Value and worth and dignity come from the creator. 
we must remember that every person we see has that breath of God in them. And I think a second uh, implication is equally important. It's this, that you have the image of God upon you and the breath of God within you. So let that value guide our confidence in who we are. Think of the people hearing those words as Moses wrote them and then they heard it. Then the Lord God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Think of the intimacy that suggests between a creator and his creation. Think of the relationship that presents between this God and his people. Think of the security that gives to a wandering people. But again, let's make it even more personal to us. Every single grace kid has the breath of God within them. That'd be a great time for an amen right there. Every single grace kid. Every youngster that walked out to the colonnade a few moments ago and walked over in that way to their classroom, every single one of them has the breath of God in them. Moms and dads, do they still drive you crazy sometimes? Yes. Do they sometimes behave more like a creature than a creation? Yes. But an awesome God has knelt down and breathed the breath of life into them. And they have the breath of God. I thought of this today. Every single older adult here, you make that determination. Every single older adult here today has the breath of God within them. Does it take longer for us to get where we're going? Probably. Does our body tell us our age is advancing? Probably. Do we realize that we have fewer days ahead of us than we do behind us? Probably, but an awesome creator formed each of us all those years ago. Todd, don't get excited. Just calm down. He, he helped us all those years ago. He planned out our life for us. Then with his breath, he animated our soul and gave us worth and value. Praise God. Every older adult has the breath of God in them. To my Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters, Tenamos al aliento de Dios dentro de nosotros. Did I get it right, Brother Adam? I'm going to say that again. Tenamos el aliento de Dios dentro de nosotros. We have the breath of God in us. Gloria a Dios. Praise God. There's something about the Creator kneeling down. Let me tell you, every single cross-current person here today, every single student and young person, you have the breath of the Creator inside of you. Praise God. Moms and dads, do you believe that with your heart today? You have the breath of God in you. Do you wonder sometimes how your life is going to work out? Undoubtedly. Does it feel like the corn maze of your life? Undoubtedly. 
Do you sometimes feel dorky and you feel like your self-esteem's a little beat up? If you're anything like me, probably. Do you wish God would text you the details of the next 15 years or so of your life? No doubt you do, but I want to remind you, precious young person, that the all-powerful, sovereign, holy, awesome creator of everything knew you when you were in your mother's womb, and he breathed into you the breath of life so you can know not only who you are, but whose you are. And that is a fact. You have the breath of God in you as a young person. Life's difficult at times, but I feel like the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church when he said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He put the breath of life into us. But not only does the breath of God give us life as humans, but look at verse 8. Chapter 2 tells us also that work and the provision to work are God-given. Genesis 2 verse 8 says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God, verse 15, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I, I wrote it down in my notes, it's a simple phrase, doing began in the beginning. Doing, working. Not to save us, our works could never save us. We could never work enough for God to give us his stamp of approval but he gave us work and the provision to work as an opportunity to reflect the creator in that work. Work and manual labor appears in chapter 2, verse 15. Having authority, those of you in management can refer to, you can, you can note this, having authority and management and dominion over employees appears in chapter 1, verse 28. Adam became a zoologist in verse 19 and 20 of chapter 2. He named every animal. Some, sometime, someone said one time, why did Adam name a platypus a platypus? And someone said, because it looked like a platypus. That's what the Bible says. He just named the names. That's the name I'm going to give that. But he was given that work by the Creator to reflect the authority of the Creator. God gave Adam the responsibility of naming the animals, serving as a representative of God, verses 19 and 20. Most of the heroes in the Bible had what we would perhaps think were secular vocations. Uh, Isaac developed real estate for the most part. Jacob was a rancher. Joseph was a government official. He was in charge of agriculture and the economy and immigration policy. Moses spent 40 years as a, a sheep herder. Esther won a beauty pageant when she went into government service. Da David worked in animal husbandry in the military and then finally statecraft. Daniel was an immigrant who attended his country's version of Oxford and then became prime minister. Lydia was a successful businesswoman in the New Testament working in textiles. Paul was a tent maker. And don't ever forget that Jesus was a carpenter. He made tables and, and benches and probably was involved in construction. When we go to work tomorrow morning, 
We're engaging in something God has given both the opportunity and the provision for that work. And why do we work? Yeah, 